The Institute of Art and Ideas is excited to announce Closer to Truth as an official partner for our upcoming How the Light Gets In Festival at Hey on Why, happening this year, May 24th to 27th. Closer to Truth examines humanity's deepest questions with the world's greatest thinkers, from Nobel laureates and renowned scientists to theologians and best-selling authors. For 20 years, Closer to Truth has explored the deep questions of cosmos, consciousness, and meaning. This year, host Robert Lawrence Kuhn journeys to new depths with their philosophy of biology season, exploring topics like evolution, race, alien intelligences, sex and gender, and much more. Get early access to full episodes from this brand new season by registering for a free membership at their website, closertotruth.com. Discover the fundamental issues of existence, engage new and diverse ways of thinking, and seek out your own answers with Closer to Truth. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. How do we know if a story is worth telling? Can we actively seek out inspiration? Or do we have to wait for it to strike? In this intimate episode, Meg Rossoff provides an insight into her writing philosophy. She discusses her origins in advertising, why the theme of adolescence fascinates her, and how a passion for horse riding inspired the idea of throughness, which encapsulates the relationship between the conscious and unconscious mind. Meg Rossoff is an award-winning writer. She is perhaps best known for the novels How I Live Now, which won the Guardian Prize, and Just In Case, for which she was awarded the Carnegie Medal. Her most recent book, The Great Godden, is a coming-of-age novel which was nominated for the Costa Book Award in 2020. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit our website, iai.tv, for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Now it's time to welcome Meg Rossoff to Philosophy for Our Times. I understand that you worked in advertising for 15 years before you started writing. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you switch from advertising to pursue a career in writing? Well, I got fired about five or six times from advertising jobs, about every 18 months during my career. I'd have to do the maths to sort of figure it out completely, but I sort of stumbled into advertising by mistake, and it's a complete waste of a life. So I just was desperate to get out, and I never thought I really could write a book, but I finally did write a book, and then it got a couple of big advances, and I just walked out one day, and like nobody was sad to see me go. So that was my career in advertising. Sure, and, and you, you mentioned your first book there, How I Live Now, um, and it won all these incredible awards. Um, did you expect this? I, do, I don't think I expected anything, really. I mean, I, well, I sent it off to my agent, and she said, oh, my God, this book is brilliant. And I, I came home, and I said, oh, they're so nice in publishing. And I didn't realize that actually they're not that nice, but she really liked the book. So in lots of ways, I kind of got lucky. You know, the, the first book was a big hit, and then everyone sort of assumes that you're good at what you do. So it's a little bit easier after that. And what, and what was your reaction? When, when well, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer the week the book came out. And, so, and the awards came after that. So I was in the middle of treatment and all that kind of stuff. And it was fantastic, because it meant that I didn't have to do all the PR stuff which actually I would have enjoyed, but I didn't have the energy to do it. 
but no one really expected anything of me. And all these kind of nice reviews kept coming in. And I thought, God, this is so easy. Why didn't I become a writer before? And you've written for young adults and children. What about writing for younger audiences appeals to you? I mean, I've written for adults as well. And in fact, I think in a way, I'm always writing for adults. But I'm interested in adolescence as a life stage. And so I'm not so much writing for teenagers, but I'm writing about that period of life. And I have a kind of theory that adolescence lasts from about the age of you know, 11 until, you know, whenever it is you actually grow up, which in my generation, nobody ever grows up because baby boomers all think they're still 25. But it's, you know, the, the thing about being a teenager is you're interested in certain questions. You're interested in who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Will anybody ever love me? And those are kind of questions that just sort of continue through your life on and off, you know. If you have a girlfriend, you're probably not worried about, is anyone ever going to love me? But, you know, six months from now when she dumps you, you might start thinking again. Yeah. <laughs> and you talk a lot about throughness, which I believe is a quote from Dressage. Yes. Um, can you explain what that concept is in relation to writing? There, well, I was, I was doing a lot of horse riding because it was kind of my dream as a child. And suddenly I was writing books, and I had a bit of extra money and a bit of extra time. So I thought, OK, I'm going to try to fulfill my dream of riding horses. And I sort of figured it was a big, expensive waste of time. But then as I, I wasn't very good at it either. But I, as I did it more and more and more, I started to kind of get into the lingo of dressage. And when they talk about throughness, they talk about a cycle of energy that propels the horse in a way that is incredibly powerful. So most horses, you know, they just kind of plod along. But a dressage horse pulls itself up like a ballet dancer. And I started to think, what if, what if the rider was the conscious mind and the horse was the unconscious mind? So the horse is this big 1,500-pound you know, animal, and you can't control it by brute force. You have to control it by, you know, softness and making it willing to cooperate with you. And so then I started thinking about the conscious and the unconscious minds and um, how all that applies to writing. That's a very brief version of my lecture on throughness. Sure, and, and on that topic of consciousness when writing, I read that it was whilst walking, walking your dogs that you met a Bedlington Terrier called Mila. Yes. And uh, your opening line for Picture Me Gone. Yeah. Um, do everyday happenings and kind of subconscious moments often inspire your writing? Not often enough, but when they do happen, they're unbelievably exciting. And they, you know, they do happen sometimes and they feel incredibly magical. When they, when they do, and then you feel like something is happening in a deep part of your brain that you're not really in control of, but you know what you want is for them to happen every day, and they just don't. And, and what can you do to try and get yourself into that? Well, yeah, I mean, I talk about that a lot. I, you know, it's sort of like, you know when you go to bed and you shut your conscious mind off, and then your unconscious mind starts telling stories. And people don't even think about how weird that is, but you know, it's not dreaming about what I will do at work tomorrow. It's dreaming about a deer in a tree and, you know, and a hunter, but he's not really a hunter, he's actually a fish. And so there's all this kind of symbolic storytelling that happens in your in your unconscious brain 
and it's about trying to access that and so you can do it when you're asleep you can do it when you're half asleep you know sometimes just when you're walking thinking about other things you know it just it just happens but it, it's kind of hard to predict sadly and what makes an idea worth pursuing um, how do you know whether a story is worth telling a really really good question how do you know if a story is worth telling i mean i've dreamt the opening line of some of my books and there's just something about it that that resonates that you know and i don't usually have the story in my head i I mean, the book I wrote for adults was called Jonathan Unleashed, and I woke up one morning with the line, Jonathan came home from work one day to find the dogs talking about him. And I didn't know who Jonathan was, and I didn't know who the dogs were, or whether they were really talking to him, or whether he was just hallucinating. But I just somewhere knew that that was the opening of a book. Now, whether that's complete self you know, delusion, and any old line could be the beginning of a book, I don't know. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a writer who is not sure whether they have anything important to say? I certainly didn't think I had anything important to say at all. You know, you find out by doing. You don't know if you can paint a picture until you actually set up the canvas and get the paints out. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to you have to really want to do it because it's not easy. I mean, working in a bank isn't easy either, and working in advertising was hellish. But at least you knew if you showed up between 9 and 5, they would give you some money. Whereas with writing, you know, you can show up between 9 and 5 every single day for two years, and no one gives you any money. So, you know, I, I don't really have advice. I think if you feel you have to do it, then you do it. Could you tell us a little bit about your latest book, The Great Garden? What inspired it and what did you learn about yourself while writing it? Oh my God. What inspired it was I sold, I was at a book festival in Norfolk years ago and they did a sudden round robin where they said, oh, we're raising money for, I can't remember what it was for, to keep the book festival going and could you donate a character in one of your books? So what you do is you say, okay, for the highest bidder, I will name a character after you. So this woman called Blank Garden bought the character in my book. Whether she ever paid the money, I don't even have any idea. And then I had to write a book with her as the main character. And then I finally, in fact, it took about 10 years, but I finally wrote the book and I sent it to her. And she said, oh, well, I'm too famous now, so I don't want you to use my name. So I changed the first name. And then she said, I'd quite like you to change the name Garden as well, because it's not very common. And I just kind of said, sorry, you know, and I didn't. And it turned out to be a great name, because it has all those, you know, the great garden, it sounds a little bit like circusy, sounds a little bit like Gatsby, it sounds, you know, God. I mean, there's just like lots of resonances. So in a way, it was a coincidental book. And how do you see your writing career unfolding in the future? Well, I hope there is one in the future. I mean, you just don't ever know, really. I mean, every time I'm between books, I think, that's it, my career's over, I'm never going to make another penny, I'm never going to write another book. And I'm kind of at that stage now, so we'll see. Meg Russell, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit our website iai.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers.